You are listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. Joined this day in time by David Sampson, the award-winning David Sampson. He's got, well, nothing personal with David Sampson. It won not one, but two awards. He has no room for the awards on his bookshelf behind him, though. He's got too many bobbleheads. You can find David, you know, CBS Sports family. And, you know, 8 a.m. he does the Nothing Personal live with David Sampson weekdays. Check it out. How was your holiday weekend? Although it probably wasn't a holiday for you. You worked yesterday, didn't you? Yeah, I did a show. It was uh, it was a Monday. And I don't like missing Monday shows because there's so much that goes on during the weekend that I feel as though missing a Monday show, that's when my audience and any audience would want to hear sort of an analysis of what happened, especially the All-Star game happened. Spring training's underway. There is no shortage of things to talk about. The All-Star game happened? You really Isn't spent time unreal? to, I mean, come on. The commissioner didn't even like the All-Star game. Boy, is he a bad actor, isn't he? When he was no, 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 MVP no, no, trophy. no. I think he performed exactly how he wanted to perform. He wanted to basically say, uh, you guys suck. Here, <laughs> take the trophy. So I had a theory on yesterday's show that I'm going to talk about to your audience because of the only few percentage crossover, which I'm still thankful for. I believe they need to match the payments for the in-season tournament for the All-Star game because the in-season tournament gives the winners $500,000 each. If you get to Vegas in the finals, you get $200,000 each. For the All-Star game, if you get there and lose, you get $25K. And if you win, you only get 100. And I know it sounds absolutely crazy, but the difference between 100 and 500 is quite significant even when you're making $30 million and not all All-Stars are making $30 million. So if you move the prize money up, I think you will get more serious play. There is so much money in the NBA. I I mean, the elite are now making 50 and 60 million, David. I mean, there's a lot of non-elite players. I I understand, but for like one time though, like this is the last time you're going to get Tyrese Halliburton at all-star game on a bargain deal, if you know what I mean. I don't know if money's an incentive, because even in the stupid in-season playing tournament, half the teams didn't give a damn. I mean, now some did, but there were a lot that laughed at it and said, yeah, this is a joke. And so all you need is enough of the players to give a damn and then let them play the big minutes in the All-Star game and make the second half competitive. The first half can be a chuck and duck. I just couldn't bear to watch it. It embarrassed me because I'm a little older, so I remember All-Star games when they really mattered and people watched and you had the best players trying to play the best. And it it doesn't help when we – it used to be chicks dig the long ball – that's an expression when I was a kid. It's an unfortunate expression, but it was a concept of people getting down on the knob and hitting the ball as far as they can. In basketball, it's become, hey, everybody loves the three. So you've got Dame Lillard pulling up from the logo or Halliburton chucking it up because he's at home and the announcer saying how great it is that these players can do it and make it look so easy. And then you've got Luka and Jokic, the Joker, who are two of the best five players in the league who would rather be literally anywhere else but there anywhere in the world but in Indianapolis. You got to change the equation because what Adam Silver is trying to do isn't working. And I think this year was the inflection point. You will see changes by next year because he knows he can't continue with this 
going into a deal to negotiate rights fees. The All-Star Game and All-Star Weekend is an important part of the money. And if you're a network looking at that, you're looking at the numbers, you're looking at the people in the dunk contest. Yeah, but is it? I mean, because, you know, in baseball, it is, David. They, the All-Star Game is still the biggest rated baseball game until the second round of the baseball playoffs. But, I mean, hell, the All-Star Game's on TNT now. It's doing like $3 million, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I don't know that it's a big deal anymore. I, if I'm Adam Silver, I'm in, next year's the final year of our deal. I would announce right now that next year's the last All-Star Game and see how the players react. So you can't do that under collective bargaining. You have to make it part of it's part of what's in the collective bargaining agreement. I think you have to find a way to make it matter more. And you talk about the baseball star game. Great example. When deals are done in baseball, the big focus is on postseason games. They'll give MLB a bunch of regular season games, the Saturday game of the week on Fox, the Sunday night game on ESPN. Those are all fine and dandy. But the majority of the money that's coming in on those national deals is for October baseball. When basketball is going through the deals, they want exclusive nights. You know, TNT, it's their night. Some games are side-by-side side where you can show the local broadcast. Some are a national window where you cannot. The exclusive streaming games will be coming to basketball the way they are in the other sports, in baseball and in football. But All-Star Weekend is a big weekend. If you think about this weekend, not a lot of sports going on. Baseball hasn't started yet. Football's over. You've got some hockey, but it barely registers. The NBA All-Star Game has to matter in all the ancillary program, and the and the networks pay for it. So my hypothesis is they're not going to want to pay what the NBA wants to receive. So there's going to be a separate negotiation for the All-Star Game that's going to include more money for the players. I made it an official wait to see on yesterday's Nothing Personal where I have accountability and will revisit things if I get them wrong. But I have to ask Coke after this. I think my official way to see is the players will get paid more money next year. There will be a change during the collective bargaining agreement regarding the All-Star game. That's how bad I thought it was. How big is the All-Star weekend for the host city, David? You've obviously been – I mean, that, that's the other part that you didn't mention in all of this. And I get the TV programming. I get the, the, the set in its own weekend. But for your season ticket holders, for your sponsors, I mean, this is an incredibly big weekend for the team that's hosting, isn't it? It's actually a nightmare. So teams, they have to beg teams to host the NBA All-Star Game. And the reason why is that you screw your season ticket holders because the NBA, unlike baseball, where even if you have 20,000 season ticket holders, you've got thousands of good seats available. And the league takes over the seat. In the NBA, if all of your really good seats are gone, except you don't get to give them to your season ticket holders for an All-Star Game, all of the suites disappear to NBA corporate sponsors, to the NBA, to Taylor Swift, to whoever's taking suites. It's not the person who gets them. So when you sign a deal to buy a suite at the Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, it's in very clear letters. This is only for Pacers home games. NBA jewel events do not count. You are not guaranteed your suite. And so owners actually don't enjoy hosting because A, it costs them money operationally. MLB, for one, and NBA, for two, they don't refund you the full cost of the operation of operating your building, of all the security. They'll give you an amount of money that they think that's enough. And you say, no, no, we need more security. We need more concession stands open because people will think we're running it. 
when in fact it's MLB running the All-Star game in 2017, not us. So it's a, it's not what you may think. I wanted to host an All-Star game because I thought it was cool to say that Miami had an All-Star game. I thought it was great to get the All-Stars in Marlins Park to show off Marlins Park after a bunch of years of low attendance and trading players away as a catalyst to make things better. That was the intention. Little did we know that it would be six months after Jose died and that it was six months before or two months before Jeffrey would sell the team. But the original goal of the All-Star game was to be a catalyst. And uh, it didn't happen in Miami. And certainly for a place like Indiana, it's nice to have it there, but teams aren't jumping all over each other. Of course, announcements were made yesterday. Milwaukee wants to host in 27 or 28. Boston wants to host in 29. That's how it's announced to the fans. So everyone, including sponsors, believes that everybody wants the All-Star game. But believe me, they have trouble finding hosts. He's David Sampson. He hosts Nothing Personal with David Sampson. He records it live weekdays at 8 o'clock. You can follow David on Twix, Twitter slash X, at David, the letter P, Sampson, David P. Sampson. Uh, obviously, we haven't spoken in a week. In between then and now, you had the tragedy in the Chiefs uh, Super Bowl parade. Very quickly here, when you guys won in 03, did you have a parade through downtown Miami or did you just have a celebration in the stadium? Because that's where Miller and Moulton went. We thought, do the parades go away and it just becomes an in-stadium celebration because you can, obviously, you can wand everybody who comes into a stadium. I'm just wondering, A, what did you do? And B, going forward, is this a one-off, a tragic one-off, or do you think the victory parade is going to bite the dust? Yeah, I did a 20-minute segment on this Monday. Let me tell you something, guys. I We did it in 03. We had two parades. We had one in Miami, one in Fort Lauderdale. It was a boat parade in Fort Lauderdale. I skipped the Florida Fort Lauderdale boat parade because I was in a negotiating session for a new stadium trying to take advantage of the World Series victory, trying to get a deal that minute, striking while the iron's hot. Of course, it didn't work. So I only went to the Miami parade. What I can tell you is when we were planning the parade with authorities, not one mention and not one thought was about an active shooter. Did not come up. We were talking about security of the players only in that people would want to rush to them to get autographs and pictures and how close would we let them? What would be the route? What would be traffic control? Not one thought of an active shooter. And that was only, only 21 years ago. Now, after this, they can give you whatever horse hockey they want, that it was two juveniles just having an argument that got out of hand. This had nothing to do with the parade. 22 people injured. A person died, not one of the people having the arguments. So what would I do if I won the title? Yes, I would still have a parade. It is so important for the community. I'm not going to let that great thing end, but I am changing the amount of money required from the public uh, for security. And it really is going to become the city's decision if they will allow it, because we're going to need them to step up with snipers, with way more armed security. Well, but they uh, had but 600 cops. I mean, they had 600 police officers for this. Think about the number of cops they have for the New York Marathon with people running where you can't hide guns. And the only people arguing are whether or not they have lactic acid in their thighs. And there's still <laughs> cops everywhere across the New York Marathon. So I think that there is opportunity to, to have a larger security presence. I just don't want to acknowledge that we're going to let this be the end 
of parades, which are so meaningful and so good for a community and such a way to celebrate. I refuse to allow the gun people to win. Unfortunately, our time is uh, almost up with David Sampson. Nothing personal with David Sampson. He'll record it in 47 minutes. He does so five days a week, and he joins us every Tuesday at the top of the 7 o'clock hour. Um, it's very dapper looking today, by the way. It's, it's, uh, it's a friend of mine's birthday today, so I'm wearing sort of a birthday shirt. Yeah. You I look like you're ready to celebrate. Of shirts. I'm ready to celebrate. I have a separate rotation of shirts that are not in the normal rotation that I can go to for appointment viewing is what I call them. So my appointment viewing shirts, and this is one of them. Hmm. That's why you've never seen it. It's totally out of the rotation. No, it's it's a far right part of the closet. Yes. Far left, but listen, let's not quibble over politics. You're listening to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. And now here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. 21 minutes past the hour. Thanks so much for being with us. Ron Syrak, talk a little golf in a little more than 15 minutes' time. Brad Gilly from PRN, he did the post-game show on the NASCAR channel yesterday after the Daytona 500. We'll talk with him at the top of the hour. We'll talk a little USF men's basketball. How about them Bulls? And how about the Gators getting ranked winners of eight of nine? Good to see a couple of Florida men's basketball teams answering the call here down the stretch. So, um, all right, let's talk Tiger. I mean, n- wait a minute. My back hurts. Nope. I've got the flu. <laughs> I don't know which it is. Can I talk about Tiger right now? Am I, am I well enough to be able to talk about Tiger? Cut him you some are, slack. I think you are. Ah, I mean, I mean, do we officially write them off or or not? Do we, or do we blame this on apparently everybody's blaming in and out? Everybody thinks the tiger's flu was actually food poisoning because apparently, uh, did you hear what? Who was it? Uh, Shoffley said the reason that Spieth signed the incorrect scorecard was that he basically had to run to the bathroom because he also had in and out. Who was the golfer on Sunday who almost missed his tee time because he spent so much time in the bathroom? Okay, he literally was running onto the first tee and he was caught on a hot mic blaming in and out for having the blanks. Well, here's a here's an idea. If you're... If that's the case, if you're a professional athlete, maybe don't eat in and out the day of a competition game or whatever. Oh, come on. Well, you're now, I mean, you're killing Molten's whole pregame regimen, so let's let's just leave well <laughs> enough alone here. I mean, come on now, really? You have I to mean, understand that's a possibility if you eat no, in and out. No, you don't think you're going to get food poisoning not, from a You think you're going to get the you-know-whats? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Not food I, no, poisoning. I, I, uh, yeah. From in and out burgers? From any of them, David. Huh, I've never had that. <laughs> well, it's because the only thing you eat. Places. For the rest of us that actually eat food in between runs to the border or in and out or any of the other fast food places, this can happen. Well, that's just it. It wasn't a run to the border. It was it was a good burger joint. I mean, come on. Who thinks they're going to have to run to the bathroom having a cheeseburger? Me. 
Really? That's why I, mean, I don't I, eat fast food. I pretty much okay. do every time. I, 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 I'm just right. saying. But, I mean, it's in there. You know, if it's what they eat all the time, hey, I don't know. in and outs okay. apparently a great burger. Apparently, it's a, it's a West Coast thing. So, I had it. it it's it's good. It's, it's not the top, but it, it's good. It might metal. It might metal. Uh, in your eyes, old. is it better than a quarter pounder with cheese? Mark, a 40-ounce filet is not better than a quarter pounder with cheese. I mean, come on, Mark. I mean, it's just enough already. Stop it. Please. <sighs> okay, here's the thing, honestly, that bothers me. Uh, listen, uh, guy's sick, guy's sick. Got the flu, what have I, you. I mean, I have to admit, it does elevate Jordan's uh, flu game even more, doesn't it? I did say that out loud. I'm like, when I saw that he left because of the flu, I'm like, Jordan scored how many with the flu and Tiger was already sick, couldn't play 12 more holes? Because then so he, did he had played one. six? Yeah, I think he had played six and was on the seventh and, and right. Uh, first off, they had an ambulance. I mean, there was talk that he was going to be transported to the local hospital via ambulance. Apparently, he needed an IV. So, okay, uh, listen. I, if he's sick, I'm he's gonna, sick. I can't. Right, I, I, listen. Right. If, I mean, he had wow. back, if he had back spasms, he had back spasms, David. I I can't tell you what he had. He, he talked about two things that there's no way for you and I to be able to say whether he had them yeah, or not. I agree. And so I'm going to assume that, you know, there's nothing inappropriate going on here. Well, he's always told us the truth. So <laughs> why would he lie to us now? <laughs> David? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's the part, once again, to the Tiger fans out there. I will say, you know what? Listen, it's all on the up and up on Friday. Here's the part that bothered me. He was the tournament host. Why did he leave town? He had the flu. Well, so what? Okay, you go first off. He, he, you know, you go back to the hotel room. You stay there all day Friday night and all day Saturday. You get your fluids. You get your medical. I mean, let's. I'm being honest here. If it was Jack's tournament at the Memorial, would Jack have been there for Hideki when he won Sunday, walking off the green with the trophy? Would Arnie at Bay Hill, if the same thing happened to Arnie, would Arnie have been there on the 72nd green? For the trophy presentation, Tiger left town, went back to Florida, was watching it on TV. Why? You're the tournament host. I think he very simply could say, I had the flu. I was contagious. I- I'm. I was very surprised he wasn't there Sunday. I- very surprised. Just saying. That was the part in which I went, wow, what's going on here? You're the tournament host. This is over. I mean, you know, by the time Hideki shoots what he shot Sunday to win, I mean, that's over 48 hours. It's 55 hours after you're leaving the course. I don't know. That's the part that actually bothers me. It's like, hey, man. Come on, it's to get, I mean, Hideki even said was kind of looking forward as I'm winning. I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to get my picture taken with the trophy with Tiger. Kind of a cool thing. Nah, nah, but you got a tweet. So, all right. But that, by the way, needs to be the bet from now on. Not 
Will he where make the cut? Tigers, will where, he will he finish the tournament? Will he just finish the tournament? That that needs to be the money line bet every week. Will Tiger finish the tournament? That's totally how bad with you. it's gotten. Maybe this was just a case of bad luck. But man, we haven't seen him in 10 months. He can't get through the first round without back spasms. And then he makes it six holes into the second round because of the flu. Well, back spasms after he shanked a shot and blamed the shank on back spasms. I'm just really impressed that I was able to say shank the shot that many times without saying the wrong word and going to an in-and-out burger situation. Right, because the in-and-out created a different word. Not the shanks. Right, not the shank or the shots. It's the... Right, it's all right in there. Different vowel than shots. Right. Right. Yeah, we better have Trent take it from here before we lose this game. Time for our Molly made play of the day. Trent, what do you have for us? Admittedly, I did not watch a lap of the Daytona 500. I really didn't. If it was on Sunday, I would have. Yesterday, I just uh, had nothing to do, and I was kind of bored, and I didn't. But I've got it for you. Not sure if controversial is the right word, but uh, we did have a little bit of a wild finish caused by a couple wrecks. Here's how the realization sounded on the broadcast. One lap to go. Sponsored by Credit One Bank, and away they go. That is Sindrick into Chastain and up into traffic. And the Daytona 500. The race winner will be the 24. We'll need the 24 to start finish line. Goes to victory lane, William Byron. From Charlotte, North Carolina, Rudy Fugel, his crew chief. Unbelievable. 40 years to the day, Hendrick Motorsports goes 1-2 at the Daytona 500. Will Byron wins it. Alex Bowman second. That's two Chevys up front for you if you're keeping track at home. Uh, Bubba Wallace, somewhat of a fan favorite. He finishes top five. Will Byron, congratulations. What can I say? There's your Miley made play of the day. 774-5839. That's 239-774-5839. Call Molly Made today and make sure when you call them to line up your house cleaning, you tell them that Miller and Moulton sent you. Boy, you know, it really had to feel good for Rick Hendrick and Hendrick Motorsports. I mean, you know, I mean, it'd been a whole nine years since they had won the Daytona 500. I mean, just don't know how they kept the team together, really. It's been so rough for Hendrick Motorsports. Ron Syrak will talk whether or not we should still be keeping score in golf. Welcome back to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. 22 minutes before the hour, Brad Gilly, he of PRN Racing, also post-game voice of NASCAR. We'll look back at the Daytona 500 at the top of the hour. Brandon Stroud, he's the senior guard for the first place Bulls of South Florida. Big win for them Sunday against FAU. He'll be calling into the show one hour from now. We dialed up Ron Syrak, old friend of the show. You see him on the Golf Channel. You can read his work at Ron Syrak, S-I-R-A-K.com. And you can follow him on Twix, you know, Twitter and X. At Ron Syrak, S-I-R-A-K. Ron, it's David and Mark once again. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Uh, great, to, great to have a new golf season going. And next week when the tour gets to Florida, I can think we can say that the uh, run-up to the Masters officially begins. Yes, and it'll be curious to see who is playing in what in the run-up to the Masters. But let's go back to how they wrapped up the West Coast swing. 
Um, and let's just start with uh, Spieth getting DQ'd. And listen, he screwed up. I mean, he signed, he wrote down three and he had a four. He screwed up. It, you know, there's no ambiguity here. Except for Ron, apparently he may have realized his mistake. He was trying to get back into the scores tent. But once you leave the designated area where you sign your scorecard, I mean, there's two things to talk about here. One, should right. they still be keeping score? And two, a designated signing area? I mean, I don't know. That sounds well. Look, weird. you gotta you gotta have you gotta you gotta define the rule in some way. You know, you you gotta define the rule in 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 a, in a very specific way. And the specific way that they have on the PGA Tour and the LPGA is when you leave the scoring area, the area where you you go into a tent, you go over your scorecard, you sign the scorecard there, and and that where the media is not allowed in that area. Nobody else is allowed in that area. You're, you're, you're distraction-free. When you leave that area, you have considered that you closed the books on that scorecard. So you got to define, when is it too late to go back and change your score? And the tour has decided, all the tours have decided, that's when it's too late, when you leave the scoring area. All right, Ron, I guess the more simple question is, should we still require players to have to sign a correct scorecard when there are tour officials out there whose job it is to keep their score? Yeah, absolutely, because, look, there are walking scores on the golf course who post scores on every hole. Those are the scores you see on the leaderboards on the golf course. Those are the scores that you see online. And believe me, those people make mistakes. I've been burned uh, sending tweets based on something I see a leaderboard on the scorecard. I say, oh, somebody yada yada just birdied three holes in a row, and then 10 minutes later they change it. They make mistakes. Everybody has to be backstopped. And who is the most reliable person to backstop a score of a player? The player. So no matter who inputs, remember, computers are only as accurate as the human beings inputting the data into the computers. Those people can make mistakes. Who backstops them? The only appropriate air-free person who can backstop that person is the player themselves. They have to go over the scorecard. They have to verify the scores for themselves and then sign off on it. Listen, I've thought for decades now that it, because, Ron, and, you know, fortunately, you've covered golf for a while. You know why the rule was put in place that the player is the ultimate arbiter here is because, you know, not that long ago, they didn't have the number of volunteers. They didn't have necessarily people at every hole. They were very much reliant on the players that's not the case now i mean we've got computers that they're showing you everybody's shot virtually every shot on the course can be shown on video you don't believe we've reached the point where the player is still the final arbiter no i i i think that the player is the only person who knows for sure what he did on that hole and look i've seen situations where players um um, say, I'm keeping your scorecard, and at the end of the round, I have to attest to your score, and then you have to sign off on the score. We both need to sign the scorecard. I've seen players who have refused to sign the scorecard because they didn't think the player whose score they were keeping made the score that they, that, that, that they say they made on that golf hole because they thought they might have uh, committed a rules violation. And, and uh, I've seen players refuse to sign scorecards for that way. So the only, the only way, and, and look, it's not that hard. 
You go in and you look at the numbers for each golf hole, and, and then you, you say, yeah, that's the right number, and you sign off on it. Uh, again, I'll go back to what I said. Um, mistakes can be made, and the only person who, who can verify for certain what they, they made on each golf hole is the player themselves. I also think that, uh, you know, we, we keep trying in all sports to take more human accountability out of the fact, out of the, uh, the, the factors that involved. And I, I think that's a bad trend in, in, in every sort of way. I, I, I think that, uh, taking the human element out of any game is, is, uh, is a dangerous road to go down. And for what it's worth, Ron, I'm on your side. David and I have had these arguments, oh, for about 10 years on this show, so I don't know if they go away anytime soon between the two of us. If I, if I could go one step further, though, do you think like do you think he should have been DQ'd when we realized within minutes, oh, wow, he, he signed for one stroke less than what he should have? I mean, do you think that maybe we should either, A, just add the stroke, or B, assess an additional two-stroke penalty. Do you think it's worthy of a DQ? Well, you know, they've, they, they've changed the rule uh, in, in uh, I, was, I was at the, um, um, the Dinah Shore tournament when uh, Lexi Thompson had Lexi. a four-stroke penalty because right. uh, uh, she, she uh, misplaced her ball back on the green, so she got a two-stroke penalty for that. And then she got another two-stroke penalty for not recording the proper score on that golf hole. In that case, they changed the rule because they decided it's not fair to expect to, to penalize somebody for not writing down a score that they didn't know they make. Um, uh, so in, in the terms of the DQ for, for the situation that Spieth was in, I'm fine with that because, the, again, the rules have to be specific. And the rule says that if you sign for a higher score, you have to live with a higher score. If you sign with a lower score, that's considered giving yourself an unfair advantage on the field and you were disqualified. Uh, you know, again, it's a very specific rule, and uh, um, it happens a couple of times a year, and every time it does, everybody everybody goes crazy. But, I mean, you know, most famously <laughs> was uh, Roberto DiPasenzo in the Masters, uh, who uh, famously said after he signed an incorrect scorecard, that cost him a green jacket, uh, what a stupid I am. And much like... Jordan Spieth, you see, the one person who did not have any problem with being DQ'd was Jordan Spieth. All right, um, Tiger withdraws after back spasms on day one and a flu on day two. Um, the back spasms, obviously, more of a concern. Ron, can you expect, I mean, can we expect Tiger to play a full tournament anymore? Yeah, you know, uh, first off, we have to take Tiger on his word that, that the DQ was the flu and not back issues, uh, and he was adamant about that. And, and there were reports of other players who had flu-like symptoms there, so that does seem to make sense. It probably um, uh, w- was the flu and not something, not something uh, uh, related to his physical injuries. Uh, but, you know, we saw even last year when he did make the cut, um, and this is going to be the problem with he's saying he wants to play one tournament a month. The problem is going to be stamina. He's 48 years old. He's had a zillion surgeries. And um, even if you can play those first 36 holes, being able to do it four days in a row and, and the, uh, you know, you, you get to the Masters, that's a hard golf course to walk. Um, it, it, it's, it's seeming more and more like um, expecting 
72 holes out of Tiger, especially 72 quality holes out of Tiger, is becoming more and more of a stretch. Talking golf with Ron Syrak, ronsyrak.com, S-I-R-A-K. You'll see him on the Golf Channel. Follow him on Twix, Twitter slash X, at Ron Syrak, S-I-R-A-K. Uh, Mackenzie Hughes, I believe it was, uh, doing the walk and talk with CBS, said, you know, the tour's not what it was a year or two ago. It, it seems as if we're all about money. We don't care about anything else. And basically, he said, we've kind of lost the charm at the very least, if not more than that. Your thoughts on the state of where professional golf is right now? I think that McKenzie articulated quite well the concerns that a lot of us had when the live golf thing started to raise its head, which was that it was going to undermine um, uh, the health uh, and financial well-being of the PGA Tour. Now, a lot, everybody is like saying, oh, because of live, there's now these signature events on the tour and people are making way more money on the tour. Yeah, that's sort of true. They've also had two prominent sponsors already announced that they're done when their contract is up. Farmer Insurance and Wells Fargo Bank are both saying that they're out of their tournaments because the nut they have to carry has doubled now. Instead of $10 million a tournament, they have to put up $20 million a tournament. They've decided it's not worth it for them. What's going to happen when the next TV contracts come up and the tour goes to the networks and tries to negotiate a contract without being able to rock solid say who's going to be playing for them and who might defect to live? So we're seeing this 48 player fields on live, which is really good for those 48 players, start to have the impact on the hundreds of other players who are out there trying to make a living playing professional golf. And, and I do think that the tour is losing a lot of its identity. I, I, I'm not a fan of the fact that they're now having some no-cut events out there. Um, uh, and and uh, I, I think the cut is, is a really compelling part of golf. Um, I, I think the fact that you don't get a check if you don't make the cut is a very compelling part of golf. That sets it apart from the team sports, where somebody can sign a five-year contract in baseball and go out and hit 216, and they're still going to get paid their full, their full salary the next year. Golf is different that way, and I think that the, everything that's going on with Liv is chipping away at that uniqueness of the game of professional golf. Ron, where do we go from here? Uh, I mean, there was talk of the merger. That seems to have gone away with the money that the PGA Tour has been able to get from PGA Tour Enterprises. Uh, Live golf is, is doesn't seem to be going away, and I'm starting to hear. You know, the guys I play golf with regularly aren't happy with the fields. What are you starting to hear about the about the tour right now, and, and where do we go next? You know, I don't think anybody really knows where we go next because I think that one thing that, that's already very very clear. Look, everybody got excited last June when they announced that there was going to be a merger between Live Golf, the PGA Tour, and the DP World Tour. Well, you know, my feeling right then is, boy, there's a zillion obstacles in the way of this merger. And I think that as we go down the road, we are seeing that that's exactly the case. This merger is nowhere close to being done for a lot of reasons. Regulatory reasons is one. Look, Congress wants to see the the books for the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is not going to let that happen. Never going to happen. Never, never, never are they going to let somebody look at their books. So the, the fact that that merger is ever going to be complete um, is, is, is just, uh, I think, a pipe dream. I think that the, the, the thing that we have to see here is how long are the Saudis going to be willing to lose money on this venture? 
Um, their long game, their long game is to diversify their economy, and they want to diversify their economy through tourism, real estate, and banking. Pro sports speaks to those things, brings in fans, brings in money in those ways. So it may be worth it for them to to lose money, but uh, I, I just think that going forward, um, the next big thing is going to be when the next big TV deals are up for the PGA Tour. And what kind of negotiating position are they going to be in? And I think it's going to be a weaker position. Ron, we only have a couple minutes. I'm just worried for the tour in this way. Saudis have more money than them. I mean, $3 billion yep. investment, that's great. The Saudis can laugh at that, if you know what I mean. And here's the other thing. Boy, Rom, Rory, prominent players who have totally changed their tune. That's about more than money, isn't it? I mean, there seems to really be a emotional and philosophical divide now. Yeah, you know, there's always been an undercurrent of some of the top players wanted to have smaller fields competing for more money. And, and that, that negates uh, the growth of the game. Look, one of the things that's great about the PGA Tour is Monday qualifiers. You know, you know no names can get into tournaments. You know, you got a 48... 48 players set field there's no there's no pathway for new blood to get into the mix and uh that's going to be that's just going to going to hurt it hurt it a a ton going forward because where's the new blood going to come from where are the compelling stories that dark horse that outsider we've never heard of who all of a sudden pops up on the leaderboard on sunday and and that's going to go away and and that's not beneficial to the pro game he's ron syrak um, legendary golf writer, columnist, uh, has been honored uh, all throughout the industry and deservedly so, and has been a longtime friend of our show. Uh, see him on the Golf Channel. Read him at ronsirak, S-I-R-A-K.com. Uh, Ron, all the best, and when you come to Florida and Augusta, safe travels. Talk to you down the road, my friend. Ron Syrak, kind enough to join us once again here on Miller & Moulton. They are really worried that Rory's going to be on LIV next year. I mean, that's how much they think Rory has philosophically changed his tune. Brad Gilly in the Daytona 500's next.